Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning, and I am glad to uh, to be back from vacation. Uh, before we start today's lesson, I've got about 75, 80 slides from the Grand Canyon uh, that I'd like to, to show you. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, one thing I did find out, those of you that have been there, you know, you can take all the pictures you want. It just doesn't do it justice. At some point in time, I quit taking pictures because it, it just wasn't going to, wasn't ever going to match up to the reality but we had a good time. Uh, contrary to what my father-in-law said, I did not try to kill them. Uh, there was there was one point where we were driving in the back of a an open-air pickup truck and driving out in the middle of the desert, and he thought I was there to leave him. And uh, I told him if he didn't behave, that was an option. Uh, but uh, but he behaved and uh, and brought him back. But we have been in uh, the book of Hebrews for many months now, and we'll continue to be for, for a few more. We've understood and we've learned that the letter to, to these uh, Christians was written as an encouragement. And that part of that encouragement was that everything we have in Christ is better. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But also the fact that we have a, a responsibility to one another. To encourage each other. And we find these verses in Hebrews chapter 3 that have been our, uh, our theme verses. Where he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And you know, the thing about encouragement is is it is it is cyclical and reciprocal if you understand what that means and it means that you know there are times when i am going to be down and i'm going to need your encouragement and there are going to be other times when i am up and you're going to need encouragement and i had that opportunity and so it is it is a cycle that we should go through as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we encourage one another not to give up, that we encourage one another when we are struggling, that we remind each other that what we have and what is promised to us is so important compared to all the things that are going on in our lives. And he reminds us in this letter that Christ is better, superior, greater than what the old law had to offer to his readers specifically. Many of them who were on the verge of going back to Judaism. He said, why? What you have in Christ is superior and better. And for us, what he would be telling us is, why would you go back to the world? The world has nothing to offer for the future. I can offer some, some pleasure right now. It can offer some short-term benefits. But in the long run, what does this world have to offer? Absolutely nothing. So why would we go back? There are different kinds of sermons. And this sermon this morning, I guess if I had to classify it, it's it's more of a, a teaching kind of sermon. But that's okay. Every now and then we kind of need that. But you know, many are confused with the purpose of the old law. 
the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. We know as Christians that, that the, the Old Testament was there, the Old Covenant. We know there's a New Covenant and a New Testament. But sometimes we have difficulty coming to grips with or understanding, well, what, what was the purpose of the old law? What was the purpose of the Old Testament? And I think that in this book, the book of Hebrews, and specifically in the section we're going to read this morning, nowhere in the Bible is the purpose and inadequacy of the old law explained better than right here. Now, you remember a few years ago, we did that series, The Story. You remember that? And I think that doing that perhaps helped many of us really understand how the old and the new did kind of fit together. That it was God's plan from beginning to end. And that God's plan all along was for Jesus to come. And that from the minute sin entered the world, actually before sin entered the world, God had a plan to redeem mankind to himself. And all that went on before Jesus coming was, was, was in preparation for that. And that, I think, helped us. Well, we're also going to see this morning how that the law, the Old Testament, was to prepare the way for the new. Now, if you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 9. Go ahead, Johnny. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, and we're going to read through chapter 10 and verse 18. And I know you're thinking, well, that's kind of long. Yeah, it is kind of long, but that means the sermon will be short, right? Or at least that's what you're hoping. All right, but I want you, if you have your Bibles, read along. If you don't, pay careful attention. Because if you've ever wondered about the Old Testament, well, what was the purpose? What was God trying to do there? I believe these verses are going to help us understand. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 9. For it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is destined to die once, just as man is destined to die once, and after that face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated into year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. 
with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come down to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for the enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Now, that was kind of long, but it was very explanatory. It explained a lot about the Old Testament and the Old Law and the Old Covenant. It teaches us, I think, pretty clearly that God never intended or expected the Old Law to be the answer for sin. God knew what he was doing. God knew when he gave them the Old Law. God knew that there was no way that it could completely and adequately deal with the problem of sin. Now, technically, it could. And we've talked about that before. Technically, the law that God provided could have dealt with sin, provided that we could live perfectly, that we could keep it without breaking it. But then we learned and we understand that we cannot And we do not keep the law perfectly. And so God understood that. God knew that before he gave the people the law. God knew that it was not going to be adequate. It also teaches us that the old law was to prepare us. And that many of the the items of the old law were used to be symbols of what was to come. They are copies. They are shadows, he says. They are preludes to something greater. Whether it be the tabernacle, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. All of those pointed the way to the need and necessity of something better or greater. Why did God have the priest offer those sacrifices over and over and over again. Why did God have a priesthood to begin with? Why did God have the people build the temple and the tabernacle and all those kinds of things? Why did God do all of that? He did all of that for a couple reasons. One, to show that they were inadequate. To show that what was coming was superior. And that, of course, was Jesus Christ. And secondly, that these things were going to be a type or a copy, or a shadow, 
or an image of what was to come. Not exactly like, but kind of like. You know, we talked about that before too. Not exactly like, but kind of like are some of these things. So first of all, this morning, I want us to look at the idea of the sanctuary. The old sanctuary. Over here, we have the tabernacle. You remember that was the, the, the portable tent that was built as Israel wandered through the desert. Uh, when God, when they came to Mount Sinai, God gave them uh, the commandments, told them how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was built essentially along the same dimensions and parameter as the temple that we have over here on the right. And over here, if you can read it and you can see it, and we'll get to it in a minute, is kind of the inside of the tabernacle and the temple. And then over here, we have kind of a possible rendering of the Ark of the Covenant. But the sanctuary, both the tabernacle and the temple, were considered holy places where God was. Where he dwelt. Now, we, we've talked about this. We know and we understand that God was everywhere. God's always been everywhere. The Israelites understood that God was with them. God was always with them. But there was a unique place where God resided. Where God's presence was. You remember when Moses approaches that burning bush and the voice comes out of the burning bush and says, take off your sandals because where you are is holy ground because he was in the very presence of God. Was God everywhere? Yeah. Had God always in a sense been with Moses? Yeah. But was there something special and unique about that place at that time? Yes. The very presence of God. The temple and the tabernacle were considered to be the places of the very presence of God. The people could not approach the sanctuary. It was divided between the holy place You kind of got, you see the courtyard out there and then you got the holy place and then you got the most holy place or the holy of holies. The people could not go into the actual temple itself. They could go into the courtyard and out in front in the courtyard is where the sacrifices were going over all day long, every day. Sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices. But only the priests could go into the temple proper, into the holy place and only if they had specific business to be there the daily taking care of the showbread or the candlesticks or whatever was being done no Jew in his right mind would think of just walking into the temple proper my guess is I don't know but you remember what happened to us when he touched the ark of the covenant you remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange sacrifices I just kind of have a feeling that something along that line may have been what would have happened so you had the temple itself the tabernacle itself where the people could not go in only the priest but then beyond that you had the holy of holies or the most holy place depending on your translation that was where the ark of the covenant was and on the ark of the covenant 
you had the lid. In the Ark of the Covenant, you had a pot of manna from the desert, Aaron's rod, and a copy of the Stone Commandments. On top of that was a lid, and on top of the lid were two cherubim with wings that outstretched each other and apparently kind of touched in the middle. And that middle section of the lid, in between where those wings of those cherubs uh, were, was called the mercy seat. Perhaps you remember that from some of our studies. And that was considered to be the essence of where God dwelt. That was where God was. That was the very presence of God. Now, was God everywhere? Yes. Did God always look after Israel? Yes. But was there a special and unique place where God dwelt and where his presence was? Yes. And it was in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, on the mercy seat, was the very presence of God. And only the high priest could enter into God's presence. And only once a year could he enter into God's presence. After all kinds of sacrifices had been made and and all these rituals and things, then one time a year, one man could enter into the very presence of God. The holy places had the the table of showbread, the golden candlesticks, the altar of incense. But in the most holy place was the ark, the mercy seat, the presence of God. The purpose of the sanctuary, whether it be the tabernacle or the temple, was to remind the people of the broken relationship between God and man because of sin. Why would God do something like that? Why would God make a holy place? Why would he make a temple, a tabernacle? Why would he make a place so holy, so sacred, that only one man, one time a year, could enter into it? To remind man of the division, of the separation between man and God because of sin. Isaiah 59 tells us that our sins have separated us from God. From the moment Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, there was separation between God and man. And even though God was working a plan to redeem mankind back to himself, even though God had chosen Israel to be his people, because of sin, there was still that separation. And God wanted them to remember that. And that's why he created, I believe, the tabernacle and the temple and the holy of holy places where only one man could enter one time of year after a whole bunch of sacrifice had been done to remind the people that they were not worthy because of sin to be in the very presence of God. Now, the scripture tells us about a new sanctuary. The priest entered a man-made sanctuary, but our high priest came down from the heavenly sanctuary, did his work and returned to it. He didn't enter the sanctuary. He came down from the heavenly dwelling, the heavenly 
sanctuary, a place not made with hands. He came down here, completed his work, and returned to that heavenly place, not made with hands. And in fact, because of what he has done, he has made each of us the dwelling place of God. You remember one time a year, God's man could come and only one man could come into the very presence of God. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his sacrifice, we become the very dwelling place of God. He resides in us. Twice in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Do you not know? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Now, in one of those places, he's talking about us collectively as the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you, do we, do y'all not know that y'all are the temple of God and that he dwells in you? As we meet here together, we are in the very presence of God. We are in his dwelling place. We sing those songs. This is holy ground. Really? It's a piece of dirt in Morris County. Right? Bunch of drywall and shingles and bricks and whatever. Ain't nothing holy about it. You're right. But we are holy. We have been made holy. We are a spiritual house in which God dwells. Just as if it was the mercy seat in the Old Testament, God is present here today. We are in his presence. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says, do you not know that you are the temple? He says, do you not know that your body? He's talking about each of us individually. Not only does God, not only does God dwell here with us, He dwells in me. I am always in the very presence of God. I don't have to wait for a special day. I don't have to wait for a special man. I don't have to wait for a special sacrifice. Because of what Jesus has done, I reside in the presence of God. And the presence of God resides in me. Hebrew, or excuse me, 1 Peter tells us that we are being built together into a spiritual house. Our hearts are the holy place where God dwells. We are constantly in the presence of God. Another difference between the old and the new, as God was trying to show us, is the difference in the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there were many different sacrifices. 
Many different offerings. And I know you can't read them. And this is just only a few of them listed up here. There was the burnt offering. There was the peace offering. There was the sin offering. There was the grain offering. There was also a drink offering. There was a whole burnt offering. There was all these different kinds of offerings. There were offerings to redeem your firstborn back from God. You know, the two turtle doves or the lamb, depending on how, how much money you had and things like that. So all these different offerings. And you can go back to Leviticus and you can read through that if you really want to, you know, if you want some bedtime material. You know, you can go back and try to try to figure all that kind of stuff out and all those sacrifices. But they were on and on over and over again. Mostly, this is kind of animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifices were for sin and guilt, as well as the ransom of the firstborn. Offerings were brought as thanksgiving and blessings. They could be grain or vegetable, you know, crop offerings and drink offerings as well. And they were made continually. Year after year, day after day, the priests offered these sacrifices on behalf of the people. But the purpose of these sacrifices was not to forgive sin technically, but to serve as a reminder of sin and the distance between man and God again. He very clearly says, The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. The blood of all the bulls and goats and sheep and calves and all those kind of things could not take away the debt of sin. It could not change hearts or lives. That's why God was displeased with them. The writer of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament where God over and over again in different places where it says, you are not pleased with burnt offerings. You are not pleased with the sacrifices. And it even said here, even though they were required by the law. And God says, yeah, I required you to make these sacrifices. But I expected your lives to be in line with the sacrifices you were making. But you turned the sacrifices into just a ritual. Okay, I'm going to come up here, slaughter this calf, give it to the priest. They'll burn it up. And now I can go off and live any way I want to live and be mean to people and live in sin and do all this kind of stuff. And, you know, tomorrow I'll come back with another calf or whatever, you know. And, and, and God said, you know, if that's the way you're treating the sacrifices, they make me sick. I just want to throw up. Uh, well, that's kind of what he said. I'm sick of them. Not because I don't want them, but because I want more than just the sacrifices. I want your lives. I want your hearts. And you see, that's one thing that the old law could not do. Is to transform hearts and minds. But Jesus comes along. And he becomes uh, our perfect sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifice were not for remission, but as a reminder of sin. Jesus, our great high priest, did not offer the sacrifices of others, like the high priest under the old law, but rather offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And because of that, it says that his sacrifice was once and for all. Sufficient, complete, total. That's why in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, we love that verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus continues to cleanse us from our sin. That's the tense of that verb. 
present ongoing, like I know anything about grammar, but I know people who know something about grammar. Present tense ongoing. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from our sin. Does that mean that Jesus has to be sacrificed over and over and over again? No. Once was enough. His blood took care of all the sins of the past. That all the blood of bulls and goats couldn't deal with. Jesus' blood was sufficient. All the sins of the future, present, present. His blood is sufficient. All the sins in the future. His blood is sufficient. Once and for all. No other way. No other option. No other alternative. His perfect sacrifice is the only thing that can completely deal with the problem of sin. So why did God have them do all those other sacrifices? So that they would understand the need for the perfect sacrifice. You know, when you do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And somebody comes along and says, I've got something to kind of fix that. You do it once, that's the end of it. Whoa, doesn't that sound good? I want me some of that. And that's kind of what God's plan was with the Old Testament. The old covenant, the old sacrifices. They were used to doing it over and over and over and over and over again and finding no satisfaction from it. God did that so when the perfect sacrifice came, they could appreciate it, appreciate him for who he was. And that's why the writer is going back to this. Some of these people were wanting to go back and he's like, are you crazy? Why would you go back to what never could satisfy? What never could be sufficient? That makes no sense. The same is true for us today. Thirdly, real quickly, there's a difference in the salvation. Primarily the salvation provided on the old law was incomplete. You know... Some of you are on boards or committees or whatever. And every now and then something will come up. And what do you do? You're really not ready to make a decision. Maybe you want more information. What do you, it, what we, we call it what? Tabling. We're going to table that for the next meeting. That's kind of what the Old Testament sacrifices provided as far as salvation. Well, we're really not going to provide salvation right now. We're just going to table it. For another year. We're going to table it again. Sometimes we talk about kicking the can down the road. Well we're going to kick the can down the road. We're going to table it. We're going to roll it along. We're going to move it forward. And then all of a sudden. There came this one sacrifice. This one salvation. That dealt completely and totally with sin. Salvation provided by Jesus Christ is different. It was technical, yes, but it was a fulfillment of a price that needed to be paid. But it's more than that. It's transformative. It's a salvation of our hearts and our minds. It is salvation that makes us holy, sanctified, purified. And now we are the things that belong to God. We are his devoted things because of what God has done for us. Real quickly, back to the sacrifice Those offerings of thanksgiving and blessing. 
Those weren't done away with under the old law either. But it's different. Paul says, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our sacrifice of thanksgiving to God is not grain or drink or some kind of thing that we offer to him. It is our lives, ourselves. The purpose of the Old Testament, I believe, to help us understand the need for a better, greater, superior way. God knew what he was doing. He used those things of the Old Testament to show their inadequacy so that we would see the perfect when he came. The sacrifice of Jesus is a better way and because of it we can enter the very presence of God. If you still have your Bibles open to chapter 10. We read all of that. All that God did and everything. Look at verse 19. Because of all that. Therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that I now have confidence to just, I know we don't have the picture up there anymore, but imagine we do. I now have confidence to just walk straight into the holy of holies. Absolutely. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice. I can with confidence... Walk straight into the presence of God. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to a time and a place where there was distance and separation from God? When as Christians through Jesus' sacrifice, we can walk boldly and confidently right into the presence of God. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you, We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at AOL dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.